Good morning. Looks like the microphone was on all this time, so hopefully you didn't hear me sing. Thanks. Appreciate it. I also forgot my water. It's underneath my chair. So if somebody will be so kind of bring it to me, I appreciate that. Well, good morning. Good morning, buddy. Thank you, brother. So this morning we come back to the second part of the doctrine of Scripture in our series titled, Anchored in the Faith, Truth for Christian Faithfulness. And next week we will go back to the Gospel of Luke. Last week we dealt with the nature of Scripture, if you remember, under the heading of three different doctrines, inspiration, inerrancy, and authority. And we concluded that the Scriptures are the Word of God, truthful in every way, through which God's rule is present among us. So the origin of Scripture is divine, their character is trustworthy, and they possess an inherent authority as the Word of God, the nature of Scripture. This week we will focus on the function of Scripture in keeping with our two-part outline from 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. The Word of God is profitable, brothers and sisters. It is not void, as Trey read earlier from Isaiah 55. The Word of God is living and active. It is doing and accomplishing the purposes of God. Or to say it another way, the Word of God is powerful and sufficient. It's powerful and sufficient. This morning we will pick up from 2 Timothy chapter 3 again, but starting with verse 12 all the way to verse 17. 2 Timothy 3, 12 to 17. So if you have your copy of God's Word, please follow along as I read This is what the inspired Paul says to the church today. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed knowing from whom you learn it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the men of God may be complete equipped for every good work. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the living God. Let's pray. Father, we come now to the reading and the preaching of your word, asking that you will please reveal the glory of Jesus Christ in the text, so that we may believe upon him and obtain the salvation of our souls. 
We pray, Father, that you will equip us with the all-sufficient and all-powerful Word of God to fulfill the ministry to which you have called us to as a church. We ask for ears of faith and hearts of humility and obedience, Father, to hear and obey your word by faith. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. What more can he say than to you he has said? Friends, that third line of how firm a foundation, which we sang last week, is the summary of the doctrine of the sufficiency of Scripture. What more can he say? Everything we need, everything we need, God has already spoken. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, 2 Peter 1, 3 and 4. What more can he say? Beloved, we have in the Scriptures all the words, all the promises, all the commandments, and all the warnings and everything else we need. God has not kept anything back from his people. And how could He? How could He? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Romans 8.32 Everything we need for life and godliness, God has graciously and abundantly given to us in His Word. His Word is enough. It is sufficient, you see. So in keeping with the pattern for this series, we will again define and apply the doctrine of the sufficiency of Scripture. Definition and application. And from our text this morning, we can say that Scripture is sufficient for two things. Salvation and godliness. Salvation and godliness. Look there first in verses 14 and 15. Paul encourages Timothy to continue in what he has learned and has firmly believed. That is, the sacred writings with which he has been acquainted from childhood. Sacred writings, Paul says, that are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The sacred writings of verse 15 are the same as all Scripture in verse 16. And so we can say that all Scripture is able to make one wise for salvation through faith in Christ. Second, consider the theme of godliness in the passage. The context of 2 Timothy chapter 3 is an exhortation to pursue godliness in a fallen world. Look there in verse 12. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 
Paul says that the evil, the ungodly, the imposters in verse 13 will go on from bad to worse, but those who are in Christ must continue to press on towards godliness. And so the scriptures function in such a way as to help the believer in this pursuit. The scriptures are profitable, verses 16 and 17, to teach, to correct, to reprove, and to train us in righteousness or godliness. You see then, the scriptures are sufficient, able, profitable for two things. They are able to make us wise unto salvation, and they are profitable in our pursuit of godliness. Salvation and godliness. So with this in mind, here's my very simple attempt to define the sufficiency of Scripture from our text. The Scriptures applied by the Spirit are all we need for salvation and godliness through faith in Christ. The Scriptures applied by the Spirit are all we need for salvation and godliness through faith in Christ. For our purposes this morning, we will look at the sufficiency of Scripture through a Christ-centered and Trinitarian outline. That is, we will consider the doctrine of sufficiency through the work of the triune God. For we cannot think of the sufficiency and power of Scripture apart from the work and sufficiency of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And for those of you who take notes, the three points of the sermon are these. The sufficiency of Scripture and the work of Christ. That is point number one. Point number two, the sufficiency of Scripture and the ministry of the Spirit. And point number three, the sufficiency of Scripture and the purposes of the Father. The sufficiency of Scripture and the work of Christ, the ministry of the Spirit, and the purposes of the Father. And we will finish at the end with a very brief application. So that's the outline and our goal. Good? Our first point then is the sufficiency of Scripture and the work of Christ. Friends, this is perhaps the most important point this morning. The sufficiency of Scripture is nothing but the sufficiency of Christ revealed in His Word. Let me repeat that. The sufficiency of Scripture is nothing but the sufficiency of Christ revealed in His Word. You see, the Scriptures are sufficient because they reveal to us the person and work of Jesus Christ. So that our faith is not in the Bible necessarily, but in what the Bible reveals. That is, God's salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Christ is the object of faith. And so the Scriptures are sufficient for faith to treasure the glory of Christ. Notice what Paul says in verse 15. The sacred writings are able to make you wise for salvation. How? Through faith. In Christ Jesus. 
So you can have the highest view of Scripture, you can have the highest view of Scripture and still miss the point. The Scriptures testify to a greater reality. They testify to the glory of the person and work of the Son of God. So that if you want to obtain salvation, it is not enough to believe that the Bible is the Word of God. You must put your faith in Christ, the one of whom the Scriptures speak. Another way of saying this is to say that the Scriptures are sufficient because the Gospel is sufficient. Because Christ, though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be held onto. But He emptied Himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And as we know, the grave was not able to hold the Son of God, and therefore God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name. Brothers and sisters, the Scriptures are sufficient because the humility of a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes was sufficient for God to dwell on earth. The Scriptures are sufficient because the blood that was shed on the cross was sufficient to atone for sin and to satisfy the wrath of God. The Scriptures are sufficient because the death of Christ was sufficient to put death to death and to overcome the powers of darkness. And the Scriptures are sufficient because the Father has accepted the work of Christ as sufficient by raising Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand from where He reigns forevermore and from where He will soon return to judge the living and the dead. All I'm trying to say is this. The Scriptures are sufficient because Jesus Christ is a sufficient Savior for God's people. Beloved, the Gospel of Jesus Christ as told in the Holy Scriptures is all you need. It is all you need to know God and His salvation. And if you are here this morning and you have not put your trust and hope in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and for eternal life, we pray that this is the day when you embrace the salvation of God in Christ. For God loved the world in this way. He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. The message of the Scriptures is sufficient for salvation. And the message is this. Repent and believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. The Scriptures are sufficient because the work of Christ is sufficient for salvation. Our second point is the sufficiency of Scripture and the ministry of the Spirit. The benefits of Christ's work are received through faith and applied to us by the Spirit. 
The Spirit, friends, is an often forgotten member of the Trinity when considering the work of redemption. But it is only the application of Christ's work by the Spirit that makes its benefits profitable to us for salvation and sanctification. So redemption must be accomplished by the Son and applied by the Spirit. The Spirit sanctifies the people of God on the grounds of their faith in the finished work of Christ. And the Spirit dwells in us as the seal of redemption, setting us apart for God's purposes and effecting in us godly growth. Paul says in Romans 8 that those who live according to the flesh will die, but those who by the Spirit put to death the deeds of the body will live. Now in 2 Timothy, the work of the Spirit is not front and center. It's not front and center, but it is implied in our text in at least two ways. In at least two ways. The first is the spiritual nature of the Scriptures. All Scripture is breathed out by God. And as we saw last week, Paul pictures God in the act of speaking forth His words echoing with themes of the creation account in Genesis where you have the Spirit present when God creates the world and He breathes His breath of life into men. And in fact, all throughout the Bible, the breath of God and the Spirit of God are used interchangeably as agents of God's actions. So when Paul says the Scriptures is or scriptures are breathed out by God, he is connecting the scriptures with the work of the Spirit. The scriptures are profitable for training God's people in righteousness because they are the product of the Spirit who sanctifies, you see. The, the, the scriptures come from the Spirit. And so the work of the Spirit is implied in the spiritual nature of Scripture. They are breathed out by God. The work of the Spirit is also implied in the use of the phrase men of God in, in verse 17. The man of God here is not the subject of the prophets of Scripture, but the object who, being equipped with the Scriptures, is ready to do the work of teaching, reproving, correcting, and training. So the man of God is not the one being reproved and corrected and taught. He is the one equipped with the Scriptures to do that work. Now the title man of God is reserved in the Old Testament for those on whom the Spirit rests to accomplish the work of God. The man of God in the Old Testament is the one empowered by the Spirit to speak and do on behalf of God. But notice here in our text that Paul does not speak of the presence of the Spirit resting on Timothy as the man of God. Rather, the man of God is able to do the work because he is equipped with a Spirit-inspired Scripture. The Scriptures, in other words, are the means through which the Spirit now works. The Scriptures are sufficient for the Spirit-dependent task of the man of God. 
And this brings us to an important conclusion, brothers and sisters. You cannot separate the work of the Spirit from the function of the Scriptures in the life of the believer and the church. You cannot separate the work of the Spirit from the function of Scriptures in the life of the church. Churches should desire and they should actively seek out to be a Spirit-filled and Spirit-empowered people. We don't shy away from the presence and work of the Spirit. Rather, we lean into it. But how do we get to experience and participate in the presence and work of the Spirit? We do so through the operation, the function of the Scriptures as the Spirit-inspired Word of God. The Spirit does His work of sanctifying and empowering the people of God as the Word of the Spirit works among His people. The work of the Spirit is to convict us of sin and to enable us to walk in godliness. And the Spirit does this work as the Scriptures are used to correct, to reprove, to teach, and to train. You see, the Scriptures are sufficient for these things. They are profitable to us because it is the Spirit who works through them. Okay? To say it another way, the Scriptures are sufficient for godliness because the Spirit Himself is sufficient to sanctify us completely. For this reason, brothers and sisters, the, the work of growing in godliness is dependent on both the Spirit and the Word. You cannot grow in godliness apart from the Holy Spirit. And you cannot grow in godliness apart from the Word of God. Notice in verse 14 that Paul encourages Timothy to continue in what he has learned and believed in the sacred writings. You never graduate from the school of God's Word. You never graduate from the school of God's Word. So the question for us is, how do we continue with Timothy to learn and firmly believe the Scriptures that we may grow in godliness? How do we do that? Well, beloved, there are no shortcuts. There are no shortcuts. Shortcuts. Notice the word acquainted in verse 15. From childhood, Timothy has been acquainted with the Scriptures. Acquainted is a word for knowing something by paying attention to it. In other words, acquaintance is not an intuitive knowledge, but an acquired knowledge. Okay, the, the, the use of this word here gets to the point of what Paul is telling Timothy to do. Having received and believed the Scriptures, continue to grow in your knowledge of them. So the path of wisdom unto salvation is the path of acquaintance, acquaintance with the Word of God. The path of wisdom unto salvation is the path of acquaintance with the Word of God. 
Now, friends, this is as practical as I can get, and I say this out of a pastoral concern and love for the church. But you cannot, you cannot become acquainted with the Word of God if you don't open your Bibles. You cannot become acquainted with the Word of God if you don't open your Bible. You see, beloved, we we have in this book the possession of all the words that God intended His people to have. And we have in this book a chest of treasures awaiting to be known and cherished. And yet, and yet many of our Bibles live in the backseat of our cars. Friends, the Scriptures are sufficient, but they are of no profit to you if you don't use them. The Scriptures are the words of life, but they are of no benefit to your soul if you don't know what they say. The Scriptures are sufficient for the life and worship of the church, but they are of no profit or usefulness to the church if we don't proclaim and use the Scriptures. And listen, not being, quote, a theological kind of person is not an excuse, brothers and sisters. Becoming acquainted with the Bible, growing in your understanding of God's Word, is not a matter of being smarter than, the, than other people. Or being more theologically inclined than the person next to you. There are no shortcuts. So if you want to grow in your treasuring of the precious promises of God's Word, you must take up and read. There are no amount of classes, no amount of books or conferences that will substitute for becoming acquainted with the Scriptures for yourself as you open the Bible at home and as you participate in the worship gathering of the church. Now, to be sure, learning and believing the Scriptures is hard work. It's an acquired knowledge. And yes, there are portions of the Bible that are difficult. The Apostle Peter himself acknowledges that there are some things in the writings of Paul that are hard to understand. So if you find Paul puzzling at times, you are in good company with the Apostle Peter. But we must remember, beloved, that the Scriptures are also comprehensible. They are able to be understood. We call this the doctrine of the clarity of Scripture. The clarity of Scripture. That is, God has spoken to us in such a way as to make Himself known and understood clearly. He has not spoken to us in vain. Friends, God is not waiting for you to open your Bible so He can hide Himself from you, or so that He can confuse you and leave you without knowledge of Him. On the contrary, the Scriptures are the sufficient means which God uses to reveal Himself to us. Perhaps you are here this morning and you have never opened the Bible and read it for yourself. And so we encourage you to do that. 
Um, there's a couple of guides this year reading the Bible together, about six of them. There's a, a, a couple that I know from our church as well that reads, uh, tries to read the Psalms in the mornings and pray through them. If you don't feel comfortable trying to read and understand and study the Scriptures for yourselves, then do it with other brothers and sisters in the church. Not only are the Scriptures able to be understood, but God has also provided His people with the ministry of the Spirit and the ministry of the church in order to make Himself known clearly in His Word. The Spirit works to illumine our minds and hearts both to understand the Scriptures rightly and to believe them by faith. And the Spirit works as the Scriptures are taught and proclaimed in the gathering of the church. Remember Ephesians 4. God has gifted the church with pastors and teachers to equip the saints for every good work. So as you study the Scriptures... And as you hear them taught in the gathering of the church, the Spirit works to help you understand and believe what God says. Becoming acquainted with the Scriptures and growing in our understanding of them is hard work. But as Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.7, Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Friends, we do the hearing and the reading, and the Lord does the revealing. And we do the studying and the thinking, and the Spirit gives the understanding. The Spirit ministers to us and helps us grow in godliness as we regularly take in the Word of God. The Scriptures are sufficient because the ministry of the Spirit through the Word is sufficient. And that brings us to our third and final point, the sufficiency of Scripture and the purposes of God the Father. Paul's words here in our text are his final charge to his young disciple before the presence of God. Paul is about to die, and he is writing this to Timothy. Look ahead with me to chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Paul tells Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearance and His kingdom, preach the Word. Timothy is to preach the Scriptures at all times, reproving and exhorting with patience because the days are evil. Paul says that people will find teachers for themselves who do not proclaim the truth, but insist on what is false. But Timothy, in verse 5, is to remain sober-minded and to continue in the work of an evangelist, that is, in preaching the Word, and so to fulfill his ministry. To fulfill his ministry. As we saw earlier, Timothy is the man of God, equipped with the Scriptures to accomplish and so to fulfill the ministry that God has given him. The days are dark, and the ungodly go from bad to worse. They continue to live in error. And God's response to all of this is to call and to equip 
Timothy to carry a word-driven ministry. Preach the word, Paul says. Friends, as we saw last week, the scriptures are the vehicle of the authority and the rule of God. And this means that the scriptures are the means God uses to exercise His power among us. The scriptures indeed are the power of God through which He accomplishes His purposes on earth. So God is not startled by evil and ungodliness. Rather, He continues to do what He has done from the beginning, calling into existence the things that do not exist by the power of His Word. The power of the Word of God is such, friends, that He speaks to inanimate objects before they exist and they begin to be. Let there be light and waters and animals, and so there was light, waters, and animals. For by the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of His mouth all their host. For He spoke, and it came to be. He commanded it, and it stood firm. Psalm 33. God not only creates the world by His word, but He also governs it by His word. He sends out His command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. He gives snow like wool. He scatters frost like ashes. He sends out His Word and melts them. Psalm 147. God creates and sustains the world by the power of His Word. Not only that, but God's judgment is also exercised by His Word. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter, but the Lord utters His voice and the earth melts. Psalm 46. And the word of the Lord is not only powerful to judge, but mighty to save. The gospel, the gospel is the power of God for salvation for those who believe, Romans 1.16. The gospel comes not only as words, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction, 1 Thessalonians 1.5. The gospel is not the word of man, but the word of God, which is working in those who believe. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 What's more, the word of God changes hearts and strengthens believers. Romans 16.25 The word of God is the power of God through Jesus Christ to abolish death and to bring life and immortality to light, 2 Timothy 2, verse 10. So God creates and sustains the universe. He judges His enemies and He saves and keeps His people all through the power of His Word. God accomplishes all His power or all His purposes through His Word. So Paul's final charge to Timothy, and to us is not surprising. Preach the Word. What do we do when the ungodly go from bad to worse? We preach the Word. What do we do when truth is put to silence and people continue to accumulate lies for themselves? We preach the Word. 
What do we do with, with, when everything else seems dark and hopeless? We preach the Word. The Scriptures are sufficient to save and sustain God's people. They reveal to us the sufficient work of Christ. They are the means for the sufficient ministry of the Spirit. And they are the power of God to accomplish all His purposes on earth. So the Scriptures applied by the Spirit, are all we need for salvation and godliness through faith in Christ. Now we have been making application throughout the sermon, but let me finish with two additional but very brief points. The first one is the same as last week. Give yourselves, brothers and sisters, to the reading in obedience of God's Word. The Scriptures are the power of God to save and to sanctify you. If you want to grow in godliness, you must grow in your acquaintance of the Holy Scriptures. Whatever the sin in your life that you're seeking to kill, the Scriptures believed by faith and applied by the Spirit are sufficient for you. They are sufficient for you. And the second point is similar. Let us, let us as a church, continue to give ourselves to the ministry of God's Word. Beloved, the Scriptures are all the church needs both to live as the people of God and to fulfill our ministry in the world. The Scriptures are profitable for the shaping and forming of the church. They are the God-given means for discipleship. They are what the Spirit uses to correct, to teach, and to train His people in righteousness. And so whether the path ahead is clear or clouded by the darkest of nights, let us press on in our commitment to be a Christ-centered and Word-driven church that we may be able to fulfill our ministry. Our charge before God and the Lord Jesus is simple. Preach the Word. So everything we need for faithfulness, God has already spoken. Let us approach this new year with confident hope in the Word of God, anchored in the truths of Scripture. For what more can He say than to us He has said in His all-sufficient Word. Amen. 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 Let's pray. Father, we do this every week because we believe that the Scriptures are sufficient. That the Scriptures are the sufficient means that the Spirit uses to work among us. And the sufficient means that You use, Father, Father, to accomplish Your purposes in the Word. We have nothing else to give, Father, because... This is all you have given us. You're all sufficient word. So I pray that in the coming year you will make us a church that is anchored in your word, that you will grow us in our confident hope in the scriptures as we continue to treasure the glory of Christ who is our sufficient Savior. We pray these things for his name and glory. Amen.